Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Goodness. Well, thank you so much, Jess, uh, for sharing that. Thank you. Um, we are in week five of a sermon series about, uh, honestly, testifying, sharing that which God has done in our life. And I told you week one that testimony is not just uh, when you came to know Jesus, though that's a part of it, but our testimony is anywhere where our story and the word of God collide, where we are shaped. And so thank you so much for sharing that. Um, we, it's been powerful. Maybe you've been a, a hit or miss or you, you've been coming or this is the first one you've ever jumped in on. This is week five. And I would encourage you, you can actually find every single one of these messages, um, on our podcast. If you, if you look and search glory podcast and the Apple podcast bar, or, uh, even on our website, they're there. Those of you who are watching online, thank you so much for joining us, uh, weekly. We got some, uh, babies in glory church. I think we got three already out. Yeah. We got three babies, newborns, and one still in the womb waiting. Uh, we got a womb baby. And there's some good things going. Uh, God said, I will grow the church, uh, you know, <laughs> one way or another. It's going to happen. And so I, I'm just really thankful for the moms, uh, the ones who just keep watching. Like, they're, they're engaged. Even though they're not here, they're there. Uh, they, they actively engage and worship with us, even from afar. So thank you. Shout out to those parents, uh, who are staying up late and a lot. Uh, we love you. And so I, I'm excited. If you are new or visiting, my name is Greg McKinney. My wife and I are the lead pastors here at Glory Church and, uh, yeah, woo. And, uh, I, I'm excited. Last week, uh, if you came first for your first time last week, I wasn't up teaching. I got to take a week off. And uh, actually was playing the drums, which would have been nice, uh, you know, if it was just, you know, that was all I did. That'd be nice. <laughs> but I'm always like, oh, I wish I wasn't con- controlled back here in the drums. Uh, God is stretching me. But Dalton did amazing. Yeah. Week four of Testify, our kids and small group director Dalton, right now he's teaching our kids. Um, he taught, and it was a message over uh, literally bringing people to Jesus. He taught over the paralyzed man whose friends brought him through a roof and, and the man was not only saved but also healed by the faith of his friends. This beautiful thing. And, and one of my favorite parts of what Dalton said, it was, he said it was, re- it was reckless. It was ridiculous. It was reprehensible and it was rewarded. And I was like, yes, it was. That, that we should have a faith that is a little bit reckless. Seen by the world as ridiculous, that it's reprehensible sometimes what we say because the world would be like, shh, be quiet, but it's rewarded because of their faith, their friend was healed. And so I'm excited. I will tell you this message this morning is a little bit reckless. (laughs) It's a little bit uh, ridiculous. It's a little bit reprehensible, but I've been praying that God would uh, reward it. I will tell you, last week, because I didn't have to teach, I did a whole lot of praying, which was really nice, just praying. I I read a lot. It was really good. I didn't have to, like, bring anything to anyone. I just was like, God, what are you doing? And through that time, I scrapped completely what I was going to speak on today. 
Uh, for weeks, we had this lined out. Week five was going to talk about this, and then I would do that, and then week six is this, and I scrapped completely what week five's message was because uh, God just like burdened my heart for this. And so I have a word for you this morning, and uh, it is sort of, it's a deep one. And uh, I, as I told our small, our, like our little huddle before the service, I could not get through the writing of the sermon without crying. So I don't know what's going to happen. If they come, they come. Bear with me. Be with me. I don't care. Cry with me. We're going to do it. Uh, but Dalton began the conversation. We can blame him for today. He, bl- he started the conversation of what happens, the why. Why do we not testify? You remember he, and he said sometimes it's the size of the crowd and, and it was the, and he dove deep into the paralytic uh, healing story and, and all of these reasons to why. And I was like, God, like, why, why, why? And so I'm just carrying on that thought, that question. I really ask God, why? Like, why? Why do I struggle to share my faith with my neighbors? Why do I struggle to bring up Christianity to people. And I'm, the, I'm a pastor, but why, what is it in me? And I feel like when you ask God these questions, like, why well, don't even think about it? You know, like, I, when you ask God these questions, he answers them. And sometimes you just don't want to hear the answer. I didn't want to hear the answer. I processed it over and over and over, and literally I felt like he said, Greg, your heart does not break for what my heart breaks for. Wow. I felt like he said... You don't chase after what I chase after. Felt like he said, you don't urge for what I urge for. You don't mourn over what I mourn over. Greg, the reason you don't is because you don't feel compelled by what I feel compelled by. And I was like, (laughs) you're right. You're right. But why? Why, God? Where does it start? Why are we callous? Why do, does your people not feel burdened like you do? Like, why don't we break for what you break for? Why do I get more angry at the sin of the world than I do, like, the righteous anger that actually does something about it? Why do I get so calloused and hardened? Why? Why, God? And I really asked these questions over and over, and as I smoothed out the thoughts last week, I'm very thankful that I had two weeks on this, because I was struggling last week. Why, why, why? I really feel like God said this, we as believers can quickly grow to have an inappropriate view of sin. We as believers can quickly grow to have an inappropriate view of sin. Like sometimes where we uh, swing one way and want to call everything a sin and the other time where we swing the other way and we don't even feel the weight of sin. We as believers can quickly have an inappropriate view. We don't see sin as God sees it. Sin is a funny topic. If I were to tell you right now, I even like, this would be really fun. If I were to tell you right now that we're going to talk today about your personal sin struggle. I get eyes. Many of you would already start squirming in your seats. Because when the church starts talking about sin, people get weird. It's because we have an inappropriate view of sin. I start saying, hey, we're going to talk about sin struggles. And you're like, "Uh, I got an early lunch. I think my children are crying in the kids' room. And you're like, bro, you don't have any kids. 
They're, they're doing... We want to leave. When the, when the church starts talking about sin, people get awkward. We start debating over what is sin and what isn't. We choose our community based on what is falls on the list and what doesn't. We get divisive. We get angry. We start sinning. <laughs> it's interesting. Sin has become such an inappropriate thing, and I, I really believe, like God has humbled me to say, my inappropriate view of sin has actually hurt my advancement of the gospel. And you're like, how? Because how can you tell the power of God's grace if the reality of sin isn't so big and hard and deadening? Because where sin increased, what increased all the more? Grace. How can I advance a gospel if I'm afraid of, indifferent to, messed up in my concept of sin? We forget that you, you were just supposed to go two by two, Jesus told his disciples, into the neighboring cities. And you're to preach that the kingdom of God is near. But what were they supposed to do right before? Do you know anyone? You're supposed to say, repent, because the kingdom of God is near. You can't preach the kingdom of God without, without talking about the awkward elephant in the room of sin. Because why then would grace have to come and cleanse it if it wasn't so bad? Death filled, shameful, fear filled. You see, when we like to put sin in a corner, we end up actually personalizing the gospel as well. And I don't, I, I'm, I'm there. I literally said, like, I don't want to have to talk about their sin. Because if I start, like, they seem fine. My neighbors seem fine. Their marriage seems fine. Our, our, like, our, our coworkers, they seem fine. Why would I rock the boat by bringing up something that is obviously not a big deal to them? Why would I rock the boat? I would just rather not bring up sin. But if I don't bring up sin, how are they to repent? How are they to see? And we're like, because I'll just keep showing them Jesus. Jesus literally, he called out sin. We just don't see it often. We don't like to think of it often. But he did. It was very apparent that the outcast was sinful and in need of a savior. And so I, I, just, I have an inappropriate view of sin. I also wrote down, like, they just don't seem very open about their problems. And this is some of the things that I, I, like, I literally say. Their sin is too personal, and we all get this very, we get very weird about sin. My sin is between me and God. Right? Like, we, we say that my things, and so sin becomes very personal, and then it's like, well, maybe they're just fine. Maybe they're just fine. I had a conversation with Dalton this week, and like, fine. Fine is such an easy thing. I don't have a heartbeat of God because I label people as fine and keep going. I think my neighbors are fine. Their marriage is fine. The friends that, that you, you have that, that are on the edge of Christianity, they seem fine. Fine is not abundance. Fine is not eternal life. And I was just really like, God, why am I indifferent towards sin? And it's because, he says, Greg, you call people fine. You think they're fine. 
And now when they come to me broken, I'll be there. But when they're fine, they're fine. And I don't need to. He's like, no, I broke. When something was lost, I chased it. It wasn't fine. When something was lost, I chased it. I pursued it. It wasn't fine. It was not fine to be lost. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly were not fine. (laughs) They weren't fine. And so I've really been talking about this over and over, and I ended up realizing that what happens with sin, in my inappropriate view of it, is I get the calloused. I want you all to write the word calloused down. Has anyone ever, like, got a new pair of shoes, and you're, like, really excited about it? Men, it's more like dress shoes, and finally you're like, yes, I can up my game. You get some nice dress shoes, ladies, it's, you know, your heels, those little flats, and you're like, I'm really excited for these. You put them on in the store, and everything's good. And then you get home, you get ready to wear them for the first time all day, and you realize these shoes suck. They hurt. They hurt. You have two options, right? You either never wear them again, or you work through the pain, because you know something about the flesh. The flesh will move from pain into blister and into callousness. Some of you are like, I've been going on these shoes for 30 years. Look at these calluses. Put them on. They'll make you bleed. But you got calluses. We don't realize it in the church. The topic of sin has become so taboo, so divisive, so painful, so blistery that the, the enemy is like, let their flesh do what the flesh does. It grows from pain into callousness. But the enemy, he doesn't realize that our God is a sustainer. He gives his people the ability, and we see this in the Israelites all the time, to live in uncomfortability. And so I was like, God, forgive me for being calloused. I can either not talk about sin at all and act like it's not present, or what we typically do is just don't want to bring it up. And we just sit in the uncomfortable elephant of the room, painful conversations of what is, what isn't, what is going on. And then we get calloused in our conversations with our spouse who never bring up sin anymore. In our conversations with our neighbors, our friends, our family, we never bring up problems. We become calloused, indifferent. Our heart doesn't break for what the Lord breaks. And I, I really, like, I felt like the Lord was saying, my people are indifferent toward the sin of the world. My people are indifferent toward the sin in themselves. We're indifferent. And so really, I asked, like, God, what is the number one reason, like, I don't share? And he's like, Greg, you're indifferent. The number one reason you don't share is you're indifferent. You will share when the person's hurting, but you won't share when they're not. You won't share when they're fine. I want my people to share a God because no one is fine. And so, like, I I want you, we have an inappropriate view of sin. I want you to write something down. This is a big truth. Please, y'all are going to get this. Some of you are going to be like, wow, I never realized this. I want you to write this. Sin is not a list of actions to debate. We have an inappropriate view of sin. We often think they are actions to debate. And I mean, number one question I get, what are you, what are you, what is sinful in your mind? What, What does your church think is sinful, isn't sinful? Because these are a list of actions that we should debate and be divisive over. Sin is not. Now, we find in Scripture some acts, like actions that are called sin. But sin is not a list of actions. It's so much deeper. 
I'll mirror it this way. I'll, this is some like uh, some. This will be a class talking. All right. I'm gonna say a very well-known phrase that some of you is your mantra. All right. This is your go-to thing, and I want our church to live by this. But we're gonna use this phrase to mirror something else. So you ready? This is the phrase. Christianity is not a religion. It's a Oh, that was weak. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. relationship. Some of you people bleed that, right? Uh, some of you people bleed it. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. It's not this list of actions that I have to do, do, do. It's not a checklist because that, that is, is painful. That is not real. That's fake. It's not this list of things that I have to do to pat myself on the back. That is not Christianity. It's a, re- it's a relationship. And I'll tell you, we have an inappropriate view of sin because sin is not a list of acts. Sin is a relationship. Sin is a partnership. And I need, if we're going to be people who share the testimony to share the gospel, we need to understand that sin is not an action. It's a relationship. Maybe you'll like it this way. Sin is when we have an active and ongoing relationship with our flesh. Sin is when we have an active and ongoing relationship with our fear. Fear, when I relate to my fear, I sin. Sin is having an active and ongoing relationship with my insecurities. So that, that's what sin is. Sin is a relationship with our flesh. Sin is a relationship. It's when I relate to my doubts, my worries, my, my, my plans instead of relating to the Lord. It's a partnership with my plans versus a partnership with the Lord's plans. That's sin. Sin is a partnership. And the reason we need this, the reason we need to understand this is because as we start calling sin an act, it becomes very easy to uh, void, avoid it in others. I just won't look at what they're acting like. Or it's fine. It's fine. But when sin is a relationship, How many of you know that relationships get dirty? Anyone? Relationships are hard. Relationships are fleshy. Like they just, you you rub and and they're, they're, they're hard and they're good, but there's just, relationships are raw. We have an inappropriate view of sin because Jesus wants us to see it as raw as it is. And so I literally, I've, I've walked through literally my week with you. And so I'm like, okay, God, if this is a partnership, what is the toll it's taking on the church by not worrying or not even, that's a poor choice of word, not being compelled by the world's partnership with their flesh? Why, why, why don't I see it? Why don't I break for it? Why don't I ache for the lost partnership with their fear? Why don't I ache for the lost partnership with their selfishness? Why don't I break for how they can't help but worry? How do, why? Because when we see a relationship, it knocks things into real mode. When we see the relationship they have with their fear. And so I've honestly asked the Lord, I was like, will you show me? Open my eyes to see. 
Open my eyes to see. Open my eyes to see. I want to break for what you, you break for. I want, to, I want to mourn over what you mourn over. And this is when the, all the tears started flowing, all right? So I, there's this passage in 1 Samuel. I don't know if you've ever read First and Second Samuel, but it's the starting of the kingship of Israel. That's like when, when Israel began having kings is the rising up of Samuel. He was a priest. He would be the priest that would anoint Saul. He'd be the priest that would anoint David. He would be the priest. And it makes it very clear in the, in the first few chapters that the priesthood at the time had grown in the word callousness. They were calloused towards sin. So much so that, that Eli is this old man, he's a priest, and it, it makes us literally, if you were to read chapters 1 to 3, it has this little section that says, and no one heard the voice of the Lord for a long time. And why? Because the priest of the Lord was calloused. It, it says that his fatherhood, and I, I, this, is, this is a jab on all, all parents, he allowed sin in his home. He allowed the, the sin to damage what it meant to sacrifice. And so his sons were eating the meat, and instead of letting it burn, they were like filling their own belly, all these things, and he just let it go. And so I bring all of this up because we see already this callousness. And then he says about Samuel, God speaks this. It's so beautiful. He says, I'm raising up for myself. I'm raising up for myself a servant, a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart. And this faithful priest will do what is according in my mind. And then the passage says, and he will be able to go in and out of my presence. I'm raising up for myself a faithful priest who is in my mind, who has my heart, and he'll be able to go in and out. And so then we see Samuel's a little boy. I promise there's a point of this. Samuel's a little boy, and Eli sleeping near the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant. You know the story? He hears, Samuel, Samuel, and the little boy wakes up, and he runs to Eli. He's like, did you need something, master? And he's like, Eli is like, one, you woke me up. Two, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. Samuel goes back to sleep, falls asleep. Samuel, Samuel, he wakes up, runs to Eli, master, did you need anything? And Eli, because we've discovered now, a calloused heart does not hear it when the Lord is calling. A calloused heart cannot hear it when the Lord is speaking. He says, go back to bed. So he went back to bed, and, 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 and he sleeps, and then he hears Samuel, Samuel, and the third time he runs to Eli, and Eli says, oh, the Lord must be speaking to you. Whenever you hear him again, I want you to respond and say, Lord, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. So he goes back to sleep, and he hears Samuel, Samuel, and he says, speak. Your servant's listening. And then what falls through, he says, I'm about to tell you something that would make people squirm, like would make people, people's stomach churn. And he says, the people of God have been living in sin. Always, you bring it back to this. When we hear God, we got to deal with sin and we get all awkward. But I really, so with this, I'm like, God, I, I, protect me from a calloused heart. So I said, and I was like, okay, Lord, Speak. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And I've said that so many times this week. 
God, why do I not break over the people around me? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Why do I not break for the world? And he said, and I said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Now, maybe one day God will talk to me audible, like audibly, that just doesn't really happen. All right, I'm, I'm of the, the kind that, that God speaks to me very, very bluntly through his word. But I discovered I have an eight-year-old son named Jack. The other day I was just like, I don't know why, I just felt the need to just ask him, hey, does God ever talk to you? And he was like, yeah. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. He talks to you? And he's like, yeah. Doesn't he talk to everyone? No. <laughs> what does he say? And he's like, well, sometimes he says, be, uh, be brave. You can do this. And I'm like, <laughs> he doesn't say that to me. <laughs> like, I just like, oh my gosh, what else does he say? And I'm like, this is amazing. Well, that doesn't happen to me. So I said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And he brought me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And he attached it so vividly to the story of creation. I never have seen it this way. The story of creation falls. So we're diving into this. And this is the point at which I'm going to cry. So we'll just bear with it. But he, he, the, sto- the word of God from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's beautiful. I encourage you guys... If you need to go potty, just sit in, all right? Just hold it. Don't leave. God's about to speak something through this. Like, this passage is powerful. And we're going to attach it to what probably one of the most well-known stories, creation, fall. One of the most well-known stories. But it says this, like, because when I see sin as a partnership, it becomes real and undeniable. And Paul says this, since we know the fear of the Lord... In other words, since we know the reverence, the might, the power, the grace, the reality of all that will happen from the Lord on the lost, since we know what it means to see the Lord as great and mighty and reverent, we try to persuade, we try to persuade others. That word literally means to convince others, to persuade all people. And he says, for if we are beside ourselves or like... Dalton wanted to say, if we are reckless, if we're ridiculous, if we're reprehensible, it's for God. But if we make sense, (laughs) if we seem to be in our right mind, it's for you. So you don't think we're crazy, so you can hear stuff, we get it. And he says, but the love of Christ urges us on. Maybe your translation literally says compels us. Because we are convinced that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. Now, I want to pause right here because if my mind and heart are to hear the Lord, I want to be a faithful priest, right? I want to be a faithful priest that that sees what God sees and hears what God hears and breaks through what God breaks through. I'm saying, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Then we got to really wrestle with this. Because we would then be compelled to persuade all people. Now, this is where my indifference wants to, like, fight back. Because, like, when someone needs counseling, I'll be there for them. When someone is, is like, ripe for the picking, and you, some of you know it, like, they're just, like, they're seeking. And they're on the brink of, of salvation. And they're about to be there. You better believe I'll be there with them. Because that's easy. I'm like, yeah, God, I will partner with you to, like, get to the, the easy line. Like, we'll do it. But when it's the word persuade, ooh, that means that that person is already believing something opposite 
of what I'm believing. <sighs> I don't want to, they seem fine. But he's like, I, because we know the fear of the Lord, that, that, that hell is real, that Jesus died, because we know that we actively convince, we, we strive to persuade, to show what the gospel really is. And he says, because I am convinced, and this is really beautiful. Why does he have that kind of passion? Because he's convinced that one has died for all. Yes. And I don't... Uh, He died for your coworker. And the reality is, whether or not your coworker has a smile that is genuine or fake, he died, and therefore all are dead. Paul is convinced that the Greeks, the Romans, the Gentiles, all of them are dead. Even in the smile on their face, they're dead. And the only way for them to live is by the one who died and to live for him. He's like, I, you can't convince me otherwise. Like, I persuade because they're dead. And if one has died, all have died. And they may live, yes, but they have to live not for themselves, but for him who died for them. And, and so he's, he's just in it. He is like, I'm convinced. And so he keeps going. He's like, from now on, therefore, I regard no one from a human point of view. Do you want to go to that section? He's like, from now on, I regard no one from a human point of view. Which means if they're powerful in this world, they're dead without Christ. If they're beautiful in this world, they're dead without Christ. And I'm convinced if they are weak in this world, they're still dead without Christ. If they are of authority in this world, they are dead without Christ. I will not see anyone from a human point of view, though I once see any, I like this little side, though I once saw Christ as that. I was like, man, he him? He's the savior? If you remember, Paul was the one who, who literally destroyed people who followed Jesus. He once viewed Jesus from a human point of view. That is a weak savior. He died. Ha! like, but I don't do it any longer. Because if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And what, I, what is beautiful is he says, behold, as if everyone who is new now, now needs to see something new. See, everything is new. It's a new creation. And when this word creation came to me, it was like, God was like, Creation. I need you to go there in your mind, Greg. And so, like, I don't know if you know anything about me, but I'm, like, a spiral thinker. Like, and my wife's sometimes like, how, how, did you, how did you get there? And I'm like, well, this reminded me of that, and it reminded me of that, and it reminded me of that. And now I'm speaking over here. Like, why, why aren't you following along? But I literally read, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, I need you to see that everything is new. Greg, go back to the creation right now. Because there's a great reversal happening in the church and they don't even realize it, that they were saved and they've been brought back into the way that I've created the garden to be, where I walked with them, where they see everything through me. You see, there's a new creation. We are a new creation. Why is, why is Paul compelled? Because he's like, I see 
God everywhere. And I'm breaking because they don't. I am a new creation. Let's go back to the story of creation if you know the story. God made Adam out of his own breath. There was this beauty of relationship. God made Eve. And together they exemplified the beauty of God and how they interacted. There was nothing separating them. They saw everything. It was literally, they saw all things through the lens of the Lord. Like the beauty of the trees, the beauty of the voice, the beauty of the whisper, like all the, it just was beautiful. There was no worry, no pain, no strife, no death, no shame, no nakedness, though they were naked. Everything was seen through God. The reason we don't share is because we have been so indifferent towards sin and what God has saved us from. We are a new creation. But I want to walk through this because they saw things through the lens of the Lord, but then Genesis happens, chapter 3, and they they sinned and they ate it. And it says in verse 7, the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew, they knew that they were naked. And so they sewed together fig leaves and made loincloths for themselves out of fig leaves. I asked God, why the effect of sin should break me. I ask God why I should break for my neighbors, my, my, the people in my life. Why I should break for the person who seems like they have it all together, that they don't have God. Why do I need to break? And he said, because their eyes are opened. And that's like weird thinking. Now I need you to sit with this. What happened at the fall was that for the first time, Adam and Eve could see all of the possibilities that were outside of the character of God. For the first time, their eyes opened to the idea of what they couldn't be, what they could be, what they should be, what they aren't, what they need, what they want what they desire. For the first time, their eyes were open to every possibility outside of God's goodness. And can we just think of how scary that is? We were all there. Their mind just gravitated. Anyone ever like lose sleep because you can't shut off your mind? That's because you are literally allowing your thoughts to go everywhere but the possibilities of God. And that's where the world is constantly. And I literally... God said, I need you to realize the effect of sin is that people's eyes are opened to everything but the answer. I need you to break because what happened to Adam and Eve? They looked down and they said, I'm not enough on my own. I must fix myself. So they hid. They partnered with their insecurities. They hid. You instantly see a marriage that can never be whole. Why don't I break for worldly marriages like I should? They can never be whole. And they hide. And it's now my relationship with Eve has a bush, a literal fig leaf in between us. And even though it will end, and I, but I will never go away. Because now I see all the possibilities outside of God. And my mind can't take it. My heart can't have it. 
we see this crazy thing happen. It says they, they knew that they were naked. And then it says they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. Like what descriptive word? And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. I think one of the most saddest things about my indifference is that I am okay with people hiding themselves from the presence of the Lord. Like that's a natural effect of partnering with sin is that when God enters a room, the world will hide. And we're okay with it. I just broke. Like, the very thing that I'm trying to bring, they're already hidden away. And I don't even care that the reason they're hiding is because they believe the ultimate lie that they are not welcome in the presence of God because of their sin. Like, no, it's in the presence of God that our sins are cleaned. But the enemy's like, no, you're not welcome in the presence of God because of your sin. No, the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And so it's just this, like, this lie that we enable as the church by letting people hide, by letting people go out. He brought me back here to, Jesus, to, to Genesis and all they saw was everything but his goodness. And I, I, what, cry, what broke me was, Greg, you remember when your mom died? I relate so much. I was like tearing up over here because I knew what I was to talk this. You remember when your mom died, Greg? And it was a storm. And then I calmed the storm. That doesn't happen for them. Remember that time? When you didn't know what to do and you needed a guide. And I didn't only bring you my Holy Spirit, but I, I filled you with a mentor who walked you through the death of your mom. And you saw in incredible ways with the kingdom of God and all the research. They don't know that. They don't have access to that. It's like when Jesus is on the cross and he's looking at all the spit, all of the hate, all of the mocking. They're literally laughing and he's crying. Not because of what they're doing to him. Why does he mourn? Because he says, forgive them, Father, because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Their eyes are open to all the possibilities but me. And so they're mad. They're, they're angry. They're going to react. They're going to spiral down. They're going to spit. They're going to mock. They're going to laugh. They're going to hide. They're going to cover up. They're going to They're going to strive. But my heart, as he sees the people, he has compassion on them because they're like a sheep without a shepherd because they don't know what to do. God, give me that kind of vision for the people around me. That when I lean to you, who do they lean to? They hide in a bush until they get the right covering that will make them feel strong enough to keep going. And then they'll hide in a bush. May we break for the relationship that the world has with their flesh. Because I have a relationship with the Almighty God who constantly gives me peace.
constantly. And another one, like I just, this is a little aside, I will tell you sometimes as a church, like we forget that this is our story, that we are made new. Like literally right before this second Corinthians chapter five, if you want to read one through 10 this week, it says that we have this tent, you know, like this fleshly body, the tent. And he says, even if the body is destroyed, we won't be naked. Why will we not be naked? Because we have an eternal body. And because of that, I want everyone to have that. That's literally where Paul is going. Do you realize that like no matter what happens to you, you won't be found naked? Instead of letting that take for granted, instead of just letting that be this, this kind of praise that's selfishly, that's cheap grace, may we realize that what we have can be adequately spoken and then seen in another. Like, that's powerful. And so he says, like, I'll, I, my heart, my hope is that to convince all people that this is real, that this is real. And so, like, here's, here's a fun little thing. Um, whenever you want to debate with someone about what is a, a sinful thing, like, what, what is an act of sin, like, literally go through this, the, the partnership talk. Because this is what sin does. We start literally acting like Adam and Eve, even though we are not, we're a new creation. And so some of you, you've been made indifferent toward the sins of others, and it starts with the indifference toward your own sin. And so just like, as we're about to get into 2 Corinthians 5, but just play that out like, God, when I do this thing, am I relating to my insecurities or to you? If I'm having a relationship with my fears in this, then it's a sin. God, if I'm having a relationship with my doubts, if I'm relating with my insecurities, my, my, my plans, then it's sinful and I won't do it. Instead of debating on what should be on that list or what shouldn't be for me, think practically. Is it making me isolate? Is it making me want to cover up with fig leaves? Is it making me want to run when the presence of God comes? If it is, it's a sin. I don't care what list you want to make. It is. And so we cannot be indifferent toward it because we were the new creation. We're to call that life out to others. And so he says, we are um, this message of reconciliation. Just type that, like, write that out. I have a message of reconciliation. That literally, that Christ is reconciling us to himself through his death. It's beautiful. Now we are to be then ambassadors of it, Paul says. Why? Because I'm convinced that they're going to be dead if I don't. Like, there's a reason why the church is God's mouthpiece. He made it that way. And so we're going to end, and I want to just, I want to just go to the story of the, the fall and how God handled it to show how it's probably one of the best evangelist tools ever. Because God walks in. Now I want you to add, when you walk into your workplace, you bring with you the presence of God. People are going to instinctually hide. Literally, in the evening breeze, the Lord walks and they heard him walk. Something about our feet, you remember the feet of the beautiful? It's because they hear us walk. And it makes people hide. Now, instead of taking that as a reason to not speak, right? What does God do? 
calls Adam by name and says, Adam, where are you? God, how can I start saying to, to Teresa, who's in my workplace, Teresa, where are you? Where are you really? How can, can I know where she's really at? Give me the confidence to actually speak to people and ask them where they are and why. You want to know how to, to start sharing the gospel? When you walk, don't be afraid when people hide because it will happen. Seek to know where they are. What a beautiful question. Where are you? And what does it say? I've hidden because I'm naked and you are coming. And what, what happens? He, he covered up. And I, it's just this funny thing. God's like, well, bro, you covered yourself up with some fig leaves. You may not know this about creation, but like when you pick that from the vine, it's going to um, it's gonna start shriveling a bit. And that thing's not sustainable for you. Like it might cover you right now, but let's be honest. Like I literally have this conversation like, nice loincloth, bro. What you don't know is in a couple of days, that thing's shriveling up and it's not covering anything. Like literally, what, what if we start, like I hear you trying to pursue this success, but can we realize that that's not covering up anything? We have to have these conversations with people. I hear that you are doing this, but that's not going to cover up anything. You're having a, uh, you are relating to this. And it's not going to cover you up. So what does he do? He lets an animal, the first bloodshed happen. So they're covered in a, a long way. We got to lead people to the reality that the bloodshed happened and they can be covered and never naked. This is the p- picture of evangelism. Yet we don't, we get so indifferent when we walk and they hide. And we just don't even care anymore. But we literally bring with us the presence of God so that we can speak him. So that another can have him. God, I pray right now that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours. That we would start asking ourselves literally, what is the relationship that they have right now with their flesh? That we would even ask, like, God, is there anything in me that is relating, that is partnering with my flesh above you? God, may I constantly seek to exchange that partnership so that I could be soft. God, I want to be soft. I want to walk into a room and be hurt. Hurt. Have compassion on the crowd because they are sheep without a shepherd. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.